Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. I've spent the last several weeks telling you what didn't happen on July 15th, 2004. And now it's time for us to talk about what did happen. And while this may just seem like a story, it's critically important for us to understand how and why Pablo ended up in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Because this issue is bigger than Pablo. A 17-year-old boy lost his life that night. And the man who killed him has never been brought to justice. The apathy of the Harris County DA's office has left so many killers on the streets, and it needs to stop. We need to hear these stories, and we need to take action. This is Season 11, Episode 5, Superman. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Up to this point, we haven't talked a whole lot about actual evidence in the case. Mostly, we've just heard from witnesses and some circumstantial evidence. I want to begin today by sharing with you the small amount of hard data that we actually have. First of all, there's the autopsy of Emerson Boyorquez. As you know, Emerson was shot and killed outside of the perfect rack on that night. The eyewitnesses at the scene reported two shooters. One we know was Jason Woolley. He was the one waiting outside the front door when Adrian approached the scene. All of the witnesses agree that he pulled out a semi-automatic pistol out of his waistband, fired a shot into the ground, and then fired at Adrian. And then he continued firing at Adrian as he chased him across the street and into the bus garage. The second shooter was the man in the blue shirt who was shooting a long gun from the sidewalk. My hope in reading the autopsy was that the ME may have been able to identify the caliber of the weapon that was used to shoot Emerson. That way, we might know who shot Emerson. But there's no such luck. This is really all we learned from the autopsy. Emerson was shot in the back. The bullet entered the lower left side of his back and exited through his lower right abdomen. The bullet perforated the vena cava, which is the main vein that brings blood back into the heart, and it also punctured the liver. And that's pretty much all we know. At trial, we learned that the bullet that killed Emerson was never recovered and that the ME was unable to determine the caliber of the weapon that killed him. So we don't know from the medical evidence which gun killed Emerson, but we still have a pretty good idea. And that's based on the layout of the crime scene and the eyewitnesses. We don't have a good crime scene diagram. Detective King made one on his notebook But it's not super clear, and it doesn't indicate where Emerson's body was found. Although there is a marking on the scene that marks where clothes were found, which I believe is where Emerson's body was. But we do have Claudia's account of the shooting. She and other eyewitnesses have all explained indirectly that Jason Woolley, with the pistol, never fired a shot in Emerson's direction. He fired at the ground and then repeatedly at Adrian as he ran away. 
Remember last week, Claudia explained that Jason did not have an angle where a missed shot towards Adrian could have hit Emerson. And she also didn't say that he ever turned and shot in the other direction. He was actually shooting in a very different direction from Emerson. Couple that with the fact that no one saw Wooly shooting anywhere but at Adrian, and we can deduce that he wasn't the shooter that killed Emerson. We can add to that the fact that Claudia acknowledged that the second, the blue shirt shooter, did have an angle at Emerson. There was a point in time where Adrian was located directly between the blue shirt shooter and Emerson, meaning that shots intended for Adrian could have missed and hit Emerson. At the very least, we know that the blue shirt shooter was shooting in his direction. There's just no way to know if the shot at Emerson was intentional or an overshot that was intended for Adrian. But by process of elimination, we can determine that Emerson was shot by the man in the blue shirt with an assault rifle. But the forensics get a little more complicated than that. Police collected a total of 15 shell casings from the crime scene. Just to clarify, the casing is the part of the load that holds the bullet and the gunpowder. After a bullet, the actual lead projectile is fired, what you're left with is the casing. Found on the scene were four casings from a .223, which is a rifle. It's a common round chambered in a gun most people are familiar with, the AR-15. There were 10 40 caliber casings found at the crime scene, and a 40 caliber is a pistol. And there was a single 9mm casing found, also a pistol. So it seems like there were three different guns involved, which would lead us to believe that there were three shooters. But... That's just on its face, and I don't think that's true. Let me explain why. I'm going to do my best to describe the layout of the scene based on King's diagram. The diagram is posted on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, and I'll also get it up on our website. The best thing that you can do is look at the diagram for reference. But if you're not in a spot to do that, I'll try to describe the scene to you. To best break things down, I need you to hold your left hand out in front of you with your palm pointing away from your body. Now make an L with your thumb and your index finger. So your index finger should be pointing up towards the ceiling and your thumb should be pointing to your right. That's the shape of the strip mall where the shooting happened. Your thumb and index finger represent the buildings and everything up and to the right of them is the parking lot. The perfect rack is located in the corner of the L. That's where everything gets started. Wooly first pulled the gun on Adrian just outside the door. Wooly first fires a shot into the ground. At that point, Adrian takes off running to the right. You're still holding up your hand, almost parallel to the thumb, but angling away from it a bit. He's trying to get to the bus garage across the street. Wooly follows behind him, firing at him as he runs. Meanwhile, we have a second shooter with the assault rifle. He started firing at Adrian from a position off to Adrian's left as he's running away. If you're still making the L with your left hand, the second shooter was positioned up around the middle knuckle on your index finger, maybe 20 feet or so away from the building in the parking lot. He fires three shots towards Adrian from that position as Adrian's running away. Then he runs towards him trying to cut off his angle as Adrian's trying to get across the street. He fires one more shot after running approximately 30 yards towards the tip of your thumb. Now, Emerson was standing on the sidewalk just about at the tip of your thumb. That's where he was shot. I'm sure that was just about as clear as mud, but hopefully you get the idea. If we take the directions up and to the right from your finger and thumb and replace those with north and east, it went something like this. Wooly shoots at the ground in front of the pool hall. Adrian takes off running in an east-northeast direction with Wooly following and shooting. Blue Shirt starts off north of the initial encounter and is firing and moving southeast towards the action. Emerson is standing on the sidewalk on the southeast edge of the scene, which is the direction that Blue Shirt was shooting. Wooly and Blue Shirt's paths cross, and that's when Claudia, who was actually chasing Wooly, comes face-to-face with Blue Shirt, who she now identifies as Richard Shorty Cisneros. At that point, the two shooters get into the gold Cadillac and flee the scene. Adrian made it across the street to the bus garage where he was hiding, and Emerson had taken a fatal shot to the back, which seems like it could have only come from Blue Shirt. 
Things get complicated with the forensics because of the one 9mm casing. The rifle is pretty cut and dry. There were three casings found where the blue shirt shooter started shooting from, and one casing was southeast of there where blue shirt was running. But the pistol gets confusing. There are 10 40 caliber casings found all along Wooly's path of travel as he was chasing and shooting at Adrian. But there's the one 9mm casing that doesn't seem to fit. And it was found right outside the door, right where everyone saw Wooly take the first shot at the ground. So we have three possible scenarios here. Either the casing is completely unrelated to the shooting, which seems unlikely, but not impossible. There are reports of Ron Strandberg firing shots into the air outside the club when he was bouncing to break up fights. But it seems unlikely because we know that Jason fired a shot at that location. There has to be a casing right there, and there was one found. But it was a 9mm casing, and the rest of the casings that we know came from him were all 40 caliber. The second scenario would be that Wooly had two guns, like he was in some Wild West-type shootout. I have two guns, one for each of you. This also seems unlikely. First of all, why have two guns? Secondly, why only fire one shot from one and ten from the other? And thirdly, well, no one saw him with two guns. Which leaves us with a third, and in my opinion, the most likely scenario. I think Jason loaded his 40 caliber pistol with one 9mm round. And while this is not recommended, and it is in fact dangerous, a 9mm round will in fact fire through a 40 caliber pistol. 40 caliber is actually a 10mm diameter. But I did some research and people do fire 9mm rounds through them on occasion. The drawbacks are number one, you should never load a gun with a round that it wasn't chambered for because it's dangerous. And two, it's not very effective. The 9mm casing will tend to get stuck in the gun sometimes, and the 9mm round, because of lack of pressure, because it's too small, won't have nearly the amount of kinetic energy as it would if it was shot out of a 9mm barrel. But 9mm ammo is cheaper than 40 caliber, and it's a pretty good way to not have a spent shell casing get tied back to your gun. In this case, I think that the only plausible explanation is that the first bullet in Jason's gun, the one that he fired into the ground, was a 9mm, and the rest of the magazine was filled with 40 caliber rounds. A few weeks ago, someone asked in a follow-up if Pablo had access to a gun, and the answer is yes. After his arrest, police found a 9mm pistol under the mattress at Pablo's girlfriend's house but even the state didn't really try to tie that gun to the crime. Primarily because while you can shoot a 9mm round through a 40 caliber pistol, the opposite isn't true. Remember, a 40 caliber bullet is bigger than a 9mm. It's 10mm. So the 40 caliber bullet wouldn't even fit into the chamber of a 9mm. So for Pablo's gun, or the gun that he had access to, to have been involved in the crime, he would have had to have been the guy at the front door who fired the single 9mm shot into the ground, which is impossible. Also, there's the fact that the state's theory was that Pablo was the second shooter, the guy in the blue shirt firing the assault rifle. Sorry, Zach. There's no evidence whatsoever that Pablo even had access to the types of guns that were used in the shooting. There's also no evidence of Pablo ever being violent or firing a gun at anyone. On the flip side, let me read you an excerpt from the offense report that mentions another shooting that occurred about a month after the perfect rack shooting. From the report, quote, Officer King of the Homicide Division received information from a source who has already provided information on the case. The source said Ron Stramberg, Shorty Richard Cisneros, and Jason Woolley were involved in an exchange of gunfire at Buffalo Fred's Ice House on Friday night. Buffalo Freds is located at 2708 North Shepherd. Officer King checked calls for police service at that location and found that the police responded to a shooting call there at 1.47 a.m. on Saturday morning. No police report was made. The source thinks that the fight at Buffalo Freds was an extension of the shooting at the Perfect Rack. The source knows the victim Emerson's father, whose name is Noki. 
Later in the day, Noki called Officer King. He said a friend of his was beaten and pistol-whipped outside Buffalo Fred's by Jason and Shorty on Friday night. They knocked his friend's teeth out. Noki said Jason and Shorty are threatening witnesses to the perfect rack shooting not to talk. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The report that I read to you right before the ad break tells the story of why Pablo ended up being the man on trial. And Shorty and Ron got off scot-free. Jason Woolley and Shorty Cisneros beat a man and knocked his teeth out and were firing their guns at people at Buffalo Fred's after Emerson's murder. Emerson's father told Detective King that Jason Woolley and Shorty Cisneros were, quote, threatening witnesses to the perfect rack shooting not to talk, end quote. And then we have another key witness to the case, a witness that the jury never heard from. In order to protect his identity, I'll only be referring to this witness by his nickname, Superman. Superman was outside of the perfect rack on the night of the shooting, and he saw what happened. Shortly after the murder, he went to the police station and actually identified Shorty Cisneros as the blue shirt shooter. He even signed a photo array, just like Claudia did. This key witness never testified. On the 19th of October, now this is after Pablo's arrest, Detective King spoke with Emerson's father's girlfriend, Anna, on the phone. He was giving her an update on the case. And Anna took extremely detailed notes of that conversation and her notes are now included in the case file. This is what Detective King told her about the status of the case. Quote, Everyone says they saw Ron and Shorty, but no one wants to testify. Police know they are in the same clique. And then we have this note about Superman, who she notes during the conversation is a key witness. Quote, Superman said that Ron was one of the shooters, but will not testify. Threatened to be killed. He wants to do the right thing, but is scared for his family. Think about what I just read to you. That is what Detective King told Emerson's father's girlfriend after they arrested Pablo. He said his words were that Superman wants to do the right thing, but he's scared for his family. Meaning, Detective King knew who the actual shooters were, and he knew why he couldn't get anyone to testify, and yet still, he continued to go after Pablo Velez because he was easy. Next week, I'm going to break down the full case against Jason, Ron, and Shorty. But before I do that, there's something that I need you to hear. After IDing Shorty in a police lineup and telling police that Ron was also part of the shooting, Superman refused to testify out of fear for his life and fear for his family's lives. There's a very good reason why I haven't released a lot of case documents yet. Everything and anything that could identify any witnesses has to be redacted. And with what you're about to hear, you're going to realize there is zero room for error on that. It literally could be a matter of life and death. So for the remainder of this episode, I'm going to play for you an interview that was recorded with Superman in 2017 by the DA's office. The interview is long. It's over 30 minutes. 
but I want you to hear what Superman has to say 13 years after the fact. I want you to hear how afraid he still was. And I'll tell you now, it's not entirely necessary for you to listen to the entire interview if you don't want to. There's not a lot of new information there, but there is some. But you should at least listen to the first 10 or 15 minutes. Listen to the struggle in his voice. His desire to do the right thing, but his inability to do so because of genuine fear. Listen to the very real-life reason why Pablo was Eileen Bogar's best bet to take the trial. And then next week, you're going to hear just how bad she fucked up and left two killers on the streets. Here's the interview. September 15th, 2017, at about 3.21 p.m., and present in um, the Dwayne Hartman's county vehicle is Assistant District Attorney Andrew Smith. Assistant District Attorney Kristen Assad. And Investigator Dwayne Hartman. Okay, so um, the like I said, the reason why I'm here is to talk to you about the Pablo Velez murder case, which revolves around the July 15, 2004 shooting at the Perfect Rack, where Emerson Porquez was killed. So um, you were present at the Perfect Rack on that night, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, did you see who one of the shooters were? speak about it like um, I was hoping that I could talk over the phone I can't speak about it uh, the okay. main thing the main thing let me just yeah all right. the guy that that that, that y'all uh, are talking about yeah I have no idea who that gentleman is I have no idea who that man is I've, I've never seen him ever like not even as an acquaintance, not even as a as a as a person that went to the place uh, to the rack or whatever. Are you talking about Pablo Velez? Yeah, I have no idea who that guy is. I have no idea who he is at all. Uh, a lot of my friends speak about that day, you know, and my understanding is that he owned a car that whoever did something left and left in that car, and that's why he got tagged tagged in this case for it uh, but, but I don't know if that's true I don't know if that's fact I don't know anything about that okay. um, I got uh, because of a, uh, well, to my understanding is because of a couple of phone calls that I had made or, or something they tagged me along saying that I was there I didn't want to be a part of anything I didn't want to get involved in any kind of way because of repercussions of things that could happen to me because of this incident. Um, I know that I have to, you know, I fear for my life. Okay. Um, and the sad scenario about this is that I've always, I've always been known to be the guy that does the right thing. And I'm forced not to because I'm scared of what's going to happen to me. Okay. And uh, you so know, let me let me ask you some. So some, when you asked me that, like I, I just, I, you know, I told I told the first cop that came and talked to me, you know, and I told him the same thing. It's like I I just can't, I can't, I can't do anything. But I'm cross. Like you, you, you keep calling me, and the reason I'm I decided to talk to y'all is because it seems that nobody gets my message. Is like I can't do anything, and then no one has ever told me. Well, this is going to happen more. This is uh, this is going to be, but everything is to get the truth out. And I understand. I yeah. wish the truth could be out there. And you know, but when you when I have no way to defend myself aside from what I what I've known to do, that is just keep my mouth shut. Uh, and it's pretty scary when my my life has been intermingled. You know, with 
just random events where I'm like, I'm not gonna say friends, but you could say acquaintances or, or whatever, you know. So it, it it makes it real hard for me because everybody knows okay. that, that that I was present, and everybody knows that people have come come up to me. I've had people come up to me, and then later on, other people come up to me and ask you kind of like what you. What you well, said they don't necessarily what... ask me, but I know what that call is. I know what it's for, and it's not. It's it's just not a nice way to live. And I told the cop. I mean, I told I told the cop that his last name, the the first guy that came up to talk to me. I just I don't know, I don't remember his name, but. Uh, I remember his last name because it was the same as mine. His last name was And I just told him, look, I, I, this may sound kind of dumb, like a movie or anything, but if I have to speak out and say what happened, I have become a criminal from that moment on because I can't stay at home and hide. I have to go find these people and take care of these people before they take care of me. Yeah. And the sad part about it is that I don't know all of them. I don't know. I don't know nothing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all of them. And like, I'm not gonna. I said that's not. A, I already have to deal with 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 me not knowing who they all are. Um, and it scares me when this guy showed up, and then they're 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 telling me about this guy, and I was like, I don't even know this guy has something to do with it or doesn't have something to do with it. It's somebody else that I fear now. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember this guy's image. Just in case he does get out of you know jail or does it, so I don't know if I have to watch out for this guy as well. All right, well let's let's kind of break this down. So let's let's kind of take some of the <clears> stuff <throat> that you said towards the end, and then we'll go back to the shooting. Okay. Uh huh. So you said you spoke to an officer. I remember. I remember one guy named Officer. Yes, okay. he's the only one that I remember. Just just because his last name was like mine. Do you recall whether or not he had glasses or he did not have glasses? I don't recall that because you see them. If I'm not mistaken. They were both sitting in the front seat, and I was sitting in the back seat when they came to see me at my job. Okay. And I think they were sitting in the front seat. I don't remember that if they were. Okay. And when did this occur? This occurred. Uh, shoot, it, 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 I'm, I'm assuming. I'm just strictly assuming. Probably like maybe a month or or so. Or man, but that, my my memory. It could have been like a month after the incident. Okay. So pretty soon after the shooting. Pretty. I would say. I would. I would. That's kind of how I recall it. I could be wrong. It could be a year, but I'm, I'm thinking it was right, right after. Okay. So. And they met me at a, <clears throat> a down. I used to work for a place called. And it was a. And it's really close to. Or in the back, I can't remember the name of the street, but. Um, if you look at my work history, I guess it'll show up. Of uh, the name of that street. Okay. And did they show you? Um, Either A or multiple photo, photo spreads, like yeah, pictures for you to look at. Yes, sir, they did. And uh, all I, all I said was, because they, they kept asking me, like, you know, hey, have you seen? Did you see what happened? You know, whatever, blah blah. And I was basically, basically just saying, well, no, you know, I didn't see. Okay. Um, and and then, you know. From that point, from that, from that moment on, uh, I was too scared to do anything. And then he just kind of forced me, like, "Look, can I rephrase the question?" He goes, "I just want you to show me pictures. I mean, show me a. Uh, an, I'm gonna give you a lineup and just point a finger if you know anybody. You know. So. So, and is this what he showed you then? Well, I mean, here, let me refresh. Is that your signature? Yes, this is my signature. Okay. So, that is, your signature is by position number six. Uh -huh. And so that's number six. Uh -huh. So whenever you sign that, were you signing that by saying, you know who that person is, you've seen that person before, or did you sign it saying that is the person who you saw on the night of the shooting, or this is the person who you saw actually commit a shooting no. at the perfect rack? No, all I told him is that that's, that is the person uh, that I've met before and I've seen before, and you know, and that's it. Like, I just seen him around. Okay. And so you don't recognize or you did not recognize anybody else within this photo spread? No, sir. Not other. No, not. And nobody else looks familiar to me. I don't know whatsoever. Okay. So now let's go back to the shooting. And that was sometime after, shortly after the shooting, that you were showed that picture. That was shortly after, I believe. Uh, like I said, I don't remember the date. Okay. 
but it was I recall that it was shortly after. And do you recall seeing like so? There's this right like. And do you remember seeing like another set of six photographs of other people that you positively identified somebody in, or at least said, "Hey, I recognize that person." Yeah, I, okay. uh, I remember that it was two. Two. Was it Ron Strandberg? Uh, I would have to see a picture. Okay. I have no idea. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this question: mm -hmm. Where were you whenever the shooting began? Uh, shoot. Were you inside the perfect rack? We were all inside. Yeah, everybody rack? was inside. Uh, we were all inside, and we just started hearing noise. Okay, so were you able to see how many people were shooting? No. Did you see who was shooting? asking you for their identification at this point i'm just saying were you able to at least see hey that person right there, there i see a person firing a gun you're shaking your head no let me ask you this question because i see you're troubled um Do you know who Pablo Velez is now? I think I do. Okay. But that's... Do you believe... If I told you Pablo Velez was charged and convicted and sentenced to murder, or convicted of murder and sentenced to 30 years in prison for being one of the shooters that night, mm -hmm. would you say that is an injustice? I have no idea because... What I was told the day that I spoke with the Mr. guy and the other gentleman was that they said that it was mutual, I mean, um, not mutual, uh, multiple shooters. Okay. And and I was like, I don't know, you know, I just don't know nothing. I just, and then I was, when I heard there was multiple shooters, it, it, it was really scary for me because I, I heard that, that, you know, it was shooters close, up close and personal, and then it was shooters that were shooting from a distance. Okay. You know, and that's just what the cop told me. All right. So, and so when I heard that, it was it was just like, it was shocking to me because it just sounded like it was just coming from one direction, but it, you know, we didn't know which way to, which, which way to go, which way to, which way to get out. We had, we were just forced to stay inside. And, and, you know, the doors were locked if that was any kind of safety precaution after this. And then, and then we were all asked to go home. You know, we were basically told to go home. Okay. Let me, let me tell you this, which is, I don't know if there were two shooters. I don't know if there were three shooters. But I do know, I'm very confident as to who one of the shooters is. And that's Jason Woolley. It was one of the bouncers there at the Perfect Rack. Um, because the ballistics. I, yeah, I was. He had like braids in his hair. I, I know who Jason was. Okay. I know, I know, I know, I know who Jason was. I remember him. Okay. Well, they found a gun that Matt and he basically admits that he shot towards Adrian at least one time with his gun. Okay. So, I guess my question to you is. I, I, are you aware of? I guess I wasn't. I no, was. I'm not looking for you to say that you. I wasn't aware I'm not of nobody. For a name and, of a person for you to say you saw. And this scares me even more because, you know, Jason was, you know, just a person that I didn't think was involved at all. But my my understanding was, I was with Jason that day. Okay. And Jason got, we, we, and I don't remember this being at night either, and 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 everybody's uh, saying that oh you know it was at night it, it was happening at night and I don't remember nothing being at night I remember daytime and that's the part that I don't I don't I, it, it plays weird in my head. You remember the shooting occurred during the daytime? 
I could have sworn that when I left out of that place, it was daytime. Okay. Because this is what I remember All right. about the day. They called me. They told me to move some pool tables. Um, and they said they were going to have like a band or something or a DJ or something. I don't I don't know what they were going to do, but they told me to move some pool tables. They were going to build a, uh, a small little miniature stage. So I remember going in in the middle of the afternoon. And this is just what I remember. Uh, I remember Jason getting into altercation with the guy because of his girlfriend. His girlfriend said that his girlfriend was after Jason and whatever. I don't know. There was a small scuffle. Lasted two seconds. Then I hear that uh, that they, uh, we're in this place and this is a pretty big place. And then he, uh, we hear that he got into a second fight right there and then again and that's that and then we hear and then shortly after we heard gunshots and the last thing that we that I ever recall of Jason was that he wasn't there no more but you know I don't know if he was or wasn't or anything I just that's news to me that's and that gets scarier and scarier because I, I just, I, I don't know what what the amount of people where it gets involved. It's just, it's scary to me. It's it's terrifying. And I have I have to live with just fear that something could happen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you see a person who was one of the shooters who's wearing a blue shirt that night? I don't remember seeing no one. All right, let me ask you this question. Forget what officers have told you about the evidence just based upon what you saw that night right you're the one who was there the officers weren't i wasn't there based upon what you saw that night let me re-ask the question which is we have pablo velez serving a 30-year sentence based upon what you saw that night do you believe that that is a just verdict I just, if you say, I don't know, that's fine. But if yeah. you have knowledge that I, I just you don't know have... who the shooters are, but you're not willing to say who they are, but you can say, I know that they're not Pablo, that's important to us. I just can't discredit the guy or credit him for doing something. I just don't, I don't know nothing about this guy. Okay. I can't, I can't. I don't even know, never even seen him in my life. Ain't until... Has... Let me ask you this question. So, sometime between a month or several months after the shooting, the police come out there and they talk to you and they show you at least this photo spread that I've shown you, correct? Um, Alright, so you're shaking your head, your head yes, right? Yeah, they show me these pictures. Alright. Has anyone else before us today physically came out and talked to you. Has anybody else physically come? Yes. Like, I believe, I think maybe some other police officers came and talked to you a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, I don't know if he was a police officer. Well, yeah. Yes, he was a police officer. He was an investigator of some sort. Okay. Um, and he came out to me, and I, I talked to him, and I basically told him that, you know, nothing, I don't want nothing to do with it. And yeah. He kept insisting. Then he told. Me, then he came back to me again. He said he was going to retire, and he didn't want to let that go before he retired. 
that's just basically what he told me and I, and I apologize for everything and, and I told him you know where I stand and, and and that was that and he promised me to never contact me again and he hasn't yeah is that like an older white gentleman you um, recall yes he scared me because he kind of when he came out here he was like are you and then I was like I turned around and and you know and he was like right by my door, so it, it and I thought it was somebody else. Okay, and that was at your house? Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Was that the, did you recognize him from seeing him in 2004? Never. Who was the second, you said that this the officer was one of the officers that showed you uh, the two photo arrays. Was there a second officer there? Yes, but it was not the same gentleman. Not the same. Gentleman. Not to my I, 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 unless I didn't recognize him, but to my acknowledgement, it wasn't. He uh, the the first gentleman. If I if I do call some like he, he just looked a little bit fitter. I don't know how to explain it. He just looked a little bit more. The one who was with. Correct. Okay. Correct. Older guy, I think, but um, just a little bit fitter than the, than the guy who saw me last. Was this was he heavy set or was he fit looking? Uh, he's normal built, just he fit. I'm not not extremely fit, but I mean like he just looked like a you know decently well built guy. Just you know not muscular, not nothing. Just just so like the clothes fit him right. Um, the other guy had a big old like I remember him with a big trench coat or something. Not a trench coat, a big just a big business jacket. And then that, that's it. And he's. When I talked to him, I just told him, I, I just keep saying I don't want no part of this. And then he goes, and I'm not trying to be rude. And he was the only one that didn't uh, force an issue. He was the only one that, like, listened <laughs> to what I had to say. Um, he um, just, all he ever told me is that if I ever had something to say, you know, to give him a card. I mean, he gave me his card. And then and I said, sure. And, and then I, before he walked away, I told him, I'm not going to call you, though, but, you know, and I told him, I'm just, I just, you know, don't want you to waste your time. And then he just said, all right, and then he, he wished me well, and then that was that. Um, then the other guy and the other guy, like, they, I mean, they were a little aggressive, not, not in a bad way, but they were a little aggressive, and then and they told me to get out, you know, they didn't, they didn't. I don't even recall them calling me. I don't believe they called up there for me. I just think they just showed up. And then in front of my boss, they just told me to, can I have the, you know, word? And then they uh, basically announced themselves to him. And of course my boss obliged and told him, okay, go ahead. And then I walked outside in the car and then that's when this happened. And then they were asking me the same thing. Do you know who the shooter was? And I said, no. And then they, and they told me, well, can you at least tell me you recognize people? And then that's where it stopped. And I said, sure. And then. You know, I looked at the pictures and, you know, I recognized two guys in there. And that's, but that's all I gave them. So I told them I just recognized these two people and that's that. Um, I didn't even know let me, let me tell you, let their me, names. <laughs> let me tell you kind of a little bit more. And I don't know if this will maybe feel a little bit better. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Sure. Um. The basis of, you know, I told you that one of the claims is they're saying that Pablo is actually innocent, that he didn't do it. Uh -huh. So, two of our main witnesses during Pablo's trial, one of which, one identified him in a photo spread back then, and one actually identified and said, hey, he saw him at the perfect rack that night, have both come off of their identifications. And they're now saying... The person who they saw on the night of that shooting is Richard Cisneros, a.k.a. Shorty. Mm -hmm. So they're naming Shorty as the person who actually shot or was involved in the shooting of both Adrian Payan, who lived, and then Emerson Borquez, the 18-year-old kid who ends up dying. Mm -hmm. um, so for whatever reason, maybe they were scared, they were fearful of Shorty back in 2004, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, they apparently no longer have said fear. Um, I don't live in the neighborhood. 
I am not part of that crew. I didn't. I you know. Me neither. I I, I don't have any of that. So, um, you know, I I don't know what is safe or not safe to point fingers at somebody no. or not point fingers. Um, but I just want you to have that knowledge no, that I, they're now pointing the finger at. I, I, I get that. So, what? So you could kind of understand where I'm coming from on this. I get that. But that day I had to walk over that kid to leave the place. Uh, Did you know him? No. Um, nothing about this kid. I don't know what the incident was. I don't know nothing when it comes to, I have no idea, never, never even. The closest thing that I come to him is that I actually could tell you I've, I know who Jason is. Don't know his last name, don't know his first name, don't know anything. I just know that the guy has, like you said, he had braids, heavy set guy, white complected, couple of tattoos on him. Did you know who Adrian is? Never. Th that guy, I have no earthly idea who he is. I have, I, I don't even recall ever seeing him once. I have no idea. What about? I have no idea who that is. Okay, so did you work for the Perfect Rock? I did. You were helping move. Tables? I did, but there's 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 not gonna be a a record of me working for them. Okay. Um, I uh, the reason I worked there was be I don't know what it was. But I guess my my attitude everywhere I go it just it just people just think that I do I'm, that I'm gonna do more than what I'm supposed to. And you know I was work I, I was a customer there. I went there religiously. It was my uh, hangout spot, and. I go there and I met a lot of people, a lot of good people, a lot of bad people. Uh. And when I went there, at at one point in time, it was everybody around my age group, uh. people that I knew from high school, people that you know knew from middle school, you know, friends, acquaintances, whatever you want to call them. But I knew everybody, and I could kind of control the crowd because I knew everybody, and it's just the way I speak. So, if something was to break out in that place, I controlled part of it, and I was able to diffuse a lot of problems. So, yeah. the owner saw that, and he gave me a job there. And actually, the way it was presented to me was, he gave me money. He goes, I want you as a bouncer, and I told him no, and I told him no for about a year. Then he gave me money, and he told me, I'm just going to pay you for being here. And then he just kept paying me that way. And I was allowed to wear what I wanted to wear. And that's kind of how it started. So I worked there from 10 to 2 in the morning. And Mondays, Mondays for Fridays and Saturdays. Um, but I was, always, I, was, I was always paid cash. And, you know, that's just kind of how I got the job. Then what ended up happening is that I didn't have control of the crowd no more. And... Instead of fights being breaking out, it was like people were getting ran over, cops were getting ran over, people were getting shot, people were, you know, it started being a, a, a rougher crowd. But I still had a lot of my friends that went. So, you know, I would, I started going less and less. And, um, you know, unfortunately I didn't stop going earlier than this incident. And that's just how, how that's the reasons why they would call me and tell me, come move these tables, come move this, whatever. And then I was real good. I was real good friends with one of the guys that that ran the place. Hispanic dude. I just can't think of his name right now. But it was, you know, well, I can't think of his name. But I was good friends with him, and I, you know, I did it as a favor for him as well too. And he felt safer when I was in the building. But as I got older, I just knew that I just didn't belong there. And you know, unfortunately, that happened before. Anything. Okay. Let me ask you these questions. So, is it true that you have, I guess, never positively identified Pablo Velez as one of the shooters that night? Yeah, that I have no idea who you, that guy is. Is I have... it also true that you have, speaking to the police, never positively identified Richard Cisneros, aka Shorty, as one of the shooters? Yeah, I've never, I've never said that. He was shot anybody or he, he was nothing. I just claimed that I knew who, I've seen him before. Okay. And um, I've, I've exchanged words with the guy. 
you know, that's all I've told him. Is it true that you have never positively identified Ronald Strandberg, who I think goes by Ron or Ronnie, as one of the shooters? I've never said that either. Uh, just said that I knew the guy and and um, I've talked to him before. Like I said, hi, bye. You know, and that's that from him going to that place. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Truth, and Mike can be found at MurbGaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.